When I started in this industry, I felt like talking about money was taboo. No one would answer what numbers were quote unquote good or great, or even what income someone could expect if they were doing well in the industry. Not even a range would be given. This ambiguity left me without direction because I felt like it was impossible to define my goals since I didn't have any context of what good or great looked like. And I wanted to be considered a major player in the industry, but I didn't even know what that meant. Or even if I'd chosen a career path that was actually going to provide me with the income that I was hoping to make. Our goal for today's episode is to lift the veil on numbers while also challenging the way you think about your goals. In an industry where it feels like bragging rights are claimed based on the amount of sales that you've solidified or flipping the script. We believe that goals should be based on actual profit rather than the more vanity metrics such as Instagram followers or sales numbers alone. Also, I just want to make it very clear before we dive into this episode that we are not here to like hate on anybody excited about sales numbers. High dollar sales is a big deal. So do not think at any point in this podcast, we are diminishing that. We are just here to make sure that you are hitting the income numbers in correlation with those goals. First, we're going to talk about why profit goals matter. Then we're going to share a little bit more about when sales goals should be considered. And we're going to wrap up the episode with exactly how to create revenue goals that will allow you to live the life you want. So don't leave us early because it gets good at the end. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat and join us to talk all things travel and business. When I started, I like made this ambiguous goal of 1 million. I had never heard anyone else say this. It turns out this is the like quote unquote magic number that people strive for. But I was like, if I could hit a million dollars in sales, I will be considered a contender. You know, like I want to be a viable option for people to invite on fams and invite to trade shows. Honestly, I feel like that million dollar is like across any online industry. Yeah. We're in like a different, we're still in travel, but we're in like a different phase, I would say, of business. Sure. Still a million dollars in sales. Like it's like, for whatever reason, that's like the golden ceiling. It's so interesting because you say that I just went to an award ceremony for my husband's roofing business and they were giving out Rolexes for a million dollars in sales. And I was like, well, that feels like the math doesn't add up. Like if you're giving this person commission kickbacks and a salary and a Rolex, like what is your profit margin? Is So like my mind is always going to the profit margin in this. It just didn't seem to make sense. But I also like good on that company culture. Like that's insane. But I don't think everyone that's hit a million dollars in sales for travel is rocking a a gold Rolex, but... If you are, good for you. Good for you. I love that for you. So in doing the math and applying a general 12% commissions, that lands around 120K, right? So 120K, it sounds great in theory, and then you apply taxes. And that's assuming that everything is FIT. If you've got yacht charters in there at 3% or villa rentals or even direct hotel sales at more like potentially 8 or 10, then that is going to be less than that. So this is just 
we're going to use very like simple numbers for this episode just to get the point across, but apply more complex math when you're looking at your numbers. So realistically, that ends up looking more like 100K. Assuming that you are bringing in a revenue of 100K, that doesn't mean you're making a profit of 100K. That doesn't mean your income is actually 100K. Then you have to apply taxes and then you're going to have to remove out expenses, which I was not, absolutely not keeping an eye on at all. I'm just going to be like super vulnerable and transparent in this episode because I think we only learn when we're honest that like not everyone's doing it great and Instagram is a liar. Sometimes, sometimes a liar. You have to be realistic that, okay, 100K minus taxes, minus expenses. Am I realistically looking at like 25 to 30K as a take home? Is that the number that I'm looking at? What we want to say before we dive into how you can get to the real number that you're taking home and your profit is that one, there's going to be different tax structures. So you might be an LLC, you might be an S Corp. So all of this should be evaluated with your accountant. And I would recommend, even if it's a contract one session or a quarterly session, work with someone that can work with you on your numbers, set goals and review past metrics and help you forecast. It might be a pricey investment. It might be like, I don't know, if they're going to look at your P&Ls and give you forecasting, it's probably going to be around $1,500 a session, I would guesstimate. But just knowing those goals, I would argue that you're going to make $1,500 more because now you have a realistic lens on what you're making. So that's just something to consider. When we started first working with our contract CFO, it was like enlightening to see what percentage of our income was going to each expense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. She really broke it down for us in a way that was like, okay, you're super salary heavy. For us, that makes sense. We're a very done for you service-based at this point in time. And we obviously agree that we're very good at pouring into our team. We believe in paying livable wages and all of that. So that was fine with us, but it also made me, held me accountable to be like, okay, our software is taking up like 20%. What is included in that? Are there softwares that we can cut down on? And I think that evaluating your expenses needs before you do anything needs to be like first and foremost, the thing you do. And I think sometimes evaluating expenses can kind of be scary. It's like going into that one back closet where just things pile up over time and you're not sure what you're going to find. You're not sure if it's going to be pretty and it's just kind of scary. And I honestly was like very nervous to do this for a really long time with Teak. I also did it in my own like travel business for a period of time. And it, it was just kind of intense and overwhelming, but it's like stepping on the scale for the first time, I guess. Like you, you don't know what that number is going to be and you don't know if you want to see it, but in order to change it, you need to know it. So we talk about this all the time, but just for some easy math, this is a very simple calculation. That's not literal. <laughs> But just make a point. So if you have 100K in revenue, let's say, so you're bringing in like, that could be whatever it is in sales, but your revenue, the commissions, your fees, all of that is 100K in revenue. Let's say 50K of that. So half of it is going to non-salary expenses. So that's not you paying yourself. If you have a team, that's not you paying the team. That's you paying for Travel Joy and Travify and Loom and fans and all the things, all the things that come up in our business that we're just paying into. Well, then another 20K is going to come out of that 100K number for taxes because got to pay Uncle Sam. So your take 
Me and Jen literally just did taxes at <laughs> the time of this recording. So she's laughing because we talked about Uncle Sam a lot this morning. If but we had me. a bleeping noise, I would say Uncle Sam is a <laughs> he's got such a jerk. I get it. But it's also like, why do I have to pay the piper all of my money? Don't understand. All of it. Going back to 100K, we're taking off 50K, we're taking off 20K. That means your take home K, K, <laughs> your take home. <laughs> is about 30K. Then then the question is, does this sustain the life you want? Like, is that the salary that you're envisioning for yourself? Does that feel good for your family? Does that feel good for your living situation? What does that look like to you? What I do when I evaluate my expenses is I go into our bank account and I print out all the expenses, like all of the transactions for the month. And it's pen and paper and me with a highlighter, like going through and highlighting pink is technology. yellow is this. Like It's very weird and kind of crazy, but it's just a way for me to audit what's going in and out of our bank account. And the team knows. Like The second I think that we can get off of a system entirely and use something different, I'm all about doing so. I'm probably the last person who's going to be like, yeah, let's bring in a new software unless I think it's going to move the needle for our business and add to our bottom line. Only because I think our tech stack right now as is, is really, really solid. And I don't want to reinvent the wheel and retrain the whole team on technology that doesn't really make sense. But I think a lot of advisors that I've talked to over the years will not do the expense evaluating and then come to find out like many, many years down the road. It's like, I've been paying for the software forever. A not so funny story of my father who's not good with expenses at all. When we were moving him out of the house in Jupiter and up to Jacksonville because he retired, we were going through and Hunter, my husband, found a landline and he was like, Wes, do you still have a landline? <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. And then he goes into his <laughs> he goes into his cell phone bill and he does. He's been paying over a thousand dollars a month for a landline that that man has not used since we were probably seven. A thousand dollars a month? It was outrageous. It was like right around, it was between $800 and $1,000. Because it was probably all bundled and they hadn't removed that service. This happened when my grandma passed too. Like people don't remember that they have landlines on their account. She had been renting the phone. I mean, it was an old rotary phone. We're talking this woman lived until she was 93. But it was an old rotary phone and they had been charging her $18 For over 50 years just to rent the phone. I'm like, Grandma, we could have just bought you a dang new phone. Like, what in the world? Crazy. Like, he was an engineer, so he's just kind of like living his life. He's not good with money. He always tells people he's not good with money. But, I mean, that was one of the things where I was like, Dad, that's a serious issue. So that's a not-so-funny way to be like, evaluate your expenses because you don't want to pay. For random things that you're not using well. And I think it also gives you the chance to step away from your business and be like, okay, can I use one of these systems? Like there's so many, and I I could go into a whole thing on like TravelJoy versus Travify and the differences and the new features rolling out. But if you think that you could use shift to one and drop another like, what does that look like? Is that feasible? And it just kind of gives you that ability to be like, okay, we dropped Trello because that was where we would manage our projects with our clients. So any sort of feedback was there and it just became kind of clunky. People started deleting things on accident and it was just a mess. And then we realized inside of Dubsado, our CRM, we could have had a client portal this whole time and made it super easy for our clients. So 
it was just like one of those things where by evaluating our expenses, I looked into like the capabilities of each of our systems a little bit more to be like, oh, okay, so we don't need this because we have the capability here. I just maybe need to learn a little bit more before we switch over. If you're listening to this in hopes of hearing a single nugget of information that could change your business, then let us share the one thing that transformed our days from scattered to streamlined, creating a defined client experience with templated emails, forms, and automated task lists. That's exactly why we created our Elevated Experience Workflow. Designed to work in TravelJoy, but easily transferable to other platforms, our program can help you skip the copy-paste routine save you from sending touchpoint texts on weekends, avoid missing important details, and protect your business by capturing signatures throughout the process. And if you're also thinking, that's great, but when do I have time to implement all that? Skip the stress and use the button in the program portal to have us implement your new client workflow within days. The key to loyal returning clients and the link to protect your piece is in the show notes. I think it's so beneficial to do like a quarterly expense audit because I was doing it once a year. That means I've already spent hundreds of dollars that could have been going towards something else. Could have been paying someone a contract labor job to do a newsletter that I was stressing to get out every month. These expenses, they sound small. You're like, oh, it's $30 a month. Am I really worried about it? Well, you should be because $30 a month times 12 and then... $30 a month isn't really just always $30 a month. If you've got one thing hanging out there, I guarantee you've got something else hanging out that you're not using. And in our situation, I would not have been able to give up Travify or Travel Joy, I'll be honest. But I think a lot of people, depending on your season of business, we overinflate what we think we need. And there are times where a software is a luxury and our salary has taken a backseat to our client experience. And that is wild to me. And I think almost every travel advisor has done this at some point of their business where they've prioritized the client experience over their take-home pay. And that could be in the way of fixing an error or getting a software that's more beneficial to your clients on a monthly basis that you just haven't really maximized the other capabilities of your other software. All that to say, evaluate your expenses, do the dang audit. But also when you get that number, my number was scary. I'm going to be honest. It was over 100K. I I did have... And expenses for the year? Yes. Okay. Okay. At first I thought you meant like for a month and that would just be... Um, That would be unsustainable. (laughs) But it was, you know, travel is in there, but my salary was not, y'all. Like it was... It was just wild because I wasn't thinking when I was like, yeah, let me get those terms and conditions rebooted and there's $1,500 there. And then let me pay for this annual subscription in full that I haven't even beta tested to know if I'm actually going to use it. There's $1,000 there. Now, I will say that was with 13 advisors and their monthly overhead fee would go towards that. So that's a little bit skewed in saying that, but just realizing like, holy cow, if you are ever in a position where you have ICs and you're thinking like, oh, I'll just cover this software. One, legally you cannot. Your IC has to cover all of their overhead. And you can fact check that with a lawyer, but that is what I have been told is that if you're an IC, you are your own book of business, you need to be covering your own overhead and your host agency should not be covering any actual required business expenses for you. So with that being said, it just made me look at 
what my ICs were paying per month to make sure that it actually added up and then to never drop below that amount of ICs because I would be hurting myself if all of a sudden there's a lot of turnover in travel. All of a sudden two decide to go to another host agency. That's now two people that I'm paying for and it equated to about thirteen five per year. Now I'm paying $27,000 out of pocket to sustain this business style that I've created. So it is really scary to look at it. But once I had that information and it was terrifying to be honest about everything that I was paying a year, I was so empowered to make better decisions and to say no and to really think before I said, yeah, I'll go on that fam. Was that fam going to replace the income that I needed? And we talk about this on so many episodes. Listen to any episode. And I think we talk about not going on every fam you're offered. (laughs) And and fees and expenses. But that's what I'm going to talk about next is if you cover your expenses in fees alone, and I'm not talking about your IC fees now, I'm talking about your planning fees, unless you have a model where you're not planning. But if you're covering your business expenses, assume you're an individual IC and you're covering your business expenses in fees alone, one, you're never going to get into the 2020 panic bind I mean, maybe because people weren't as much planning. But if your planning fees are non-refundable and they are adequately compensating you for the amount of time that you dedicate per trip, you are covered. The commission to me is your dream income, right? Like that's where you shoot big. That's where you compensate yourself with the majority of your salary, but also with that shoot for the moon dream income. But to me, your operating expenses should come from your clients because they are paying you to operate your business. It feels very factual to me. And it's not what I always applied. In order for you to do this, again, we'll take it back to another topic we mentioned a lot, which is time tracking. You can't know how much time you're applying to each trip without actually doing time tracking. So if I'm applying 20 hours of my service to a sale but I'm charging $500 for that planning fee, you are cutting yourself short. Because the way that I always categorize it, and maybe this is wrong or right, everyone has a different philosophy, is like the pre-work is the planning, the commission is the in-service travel assistance kind of thing. Like that's where I'm compensated for that in-travel assistance. But someone might not get to that trip. So your planning fee better cover you all the way to the point of departure is how I feel. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Robin. No, I agree with that 100%. I think that time tracking is so valuable and people never know where to get started. If you need a platform, I really like Toggle. We haven't used it in Teak because now ClickUp has a feature where you're able to time track inside of various tasks. So we don't use it anymore, but I've heard wonderful things about Toggle, T-O-G-G-L. It's a little browser extension that'll let you like start and stop a timer based on like your trip. And then you can save extra time to like the whatever trip you're booking. So you can have like a bunch of different like projects, I think they're called. And each of those projects can be like a trip and then you can time track from there. And if you're like, well, I don't even know how to charge for my time. What I would do is look at number one factor in like your experience, how long you've been in the industry, all of that. And then what you want to be making, like what your salary would be if you were at like a job and someone was paying you for your experience and stuff. So let's say me and Jen are valuing ourselves like 100K and we work 40 hours a week. 
you take 100K and you make that math work. And then you can find out your hourly rate based off of your desired salary. And the working hours in a year for anyone that needs simple math is 2080. So 2080 hours is quote unquote working hours. That's assuming obviously we're working 40 hours a week, which is <laughs> we're going to talk about dream world here where you work 40 hours or less and you make the income that you want because that's the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Quality overall breeds balance because when you're doing less, but you're doing better work, I mean, I think me and Jen have both been there in our lives. Like right now, Teak, it's like we're managing clients at a lower level. Whereas when we were in travel, it was like a taking any and everybody who like breathed our way. So you need the right clients that are willing to invest in. If you're like, well, I don't know my right client. We have our dream client guide. It's free on our website. I highly recommend the download. And I know that we talk about it in a couple past episodes. I want to say mandolin. So we can link that in the show notes for you. But so many advisors were in that place that me and Jen used to be in where you are taking whatever comes in and you feel bad about like turning people away or saying like, no, I don't really plan that. So you take it on. Or even if you're trying to get away from sun and sand, you keep taking them because that's what people are coming to you for. So it's not really sustainable when you're prioritizing your clients' emotions or their like immediate needs over your well-being. Not to say that you shouldn't have a business model that's serving your clients' needs because that's what business is. <laughs> like that's what successful business is. So if you find that like your clientele and people in the area that you live in or the people you're interacting with primarily are the sun and sands, like there's time to evaluate like, yeah, that maybe that should be your niche and like go all in on it. But it's not unkind to want to make a living and a comfortable living at that. So knowing what you book, knowing your fee, knowing your worth, I think it's super, like Jen mentioned before, it's super empowering. You're able to say no easier. And I don't think I really believed that until we got clear on like what we wanted to make and what we needed to make as a business in order to not only sustain the life that me and Jen want, but the lives of our team and the business we want to run. And does it align with our vision and our mission for our industry? All of these things. Quality is always better than quantity. Again, I think we've talked about this before, but there's a place for quantity in the business. I think you need to take on clients in the beginning to get experience, get work, figure out what you like, what you don't like. I, I could never imagine coming out of the bat and being like, no client, like I don't want to work with you, but having no real book of business yet or no real experience. Because working with all those clients in the beginning did help me get the experience level where I was confident to say like, no, I am of value. But imagine if you were with a host that empowered you to put that value on yourself from day one, but also gave you the tools to become confident so that you could do that. That is where I just want a lot of host agencies to take their role in mentorship very seriously. And yes, it does. the responsibility does absolutely fall on the advisor to seek out that education as well. But it's also the responsibility of the host who is taking a portion of that income. I didn't, we didn't even touch on like host commission splits in that mathematical equation. That was like assuming you're independent. So you and I, I don't, maybe I, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I'm with the majority that for years I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And then like come tax time, I was like, oh, I made this. And it was like, like surprise, okay. surprise. And there was no evaluation. There was no strategy. There was just living on hopes and dreams and 
hope is not a strategy. (laughs) I want to say that hope is not a strategy. And when you see that number at the end of the tax year, it looks really good until you talk about all the other things that we are talking about. The reality, when you see the tax document, it will have your commission splits taken out of it already because that's what's going into your bank account. But where I see, and I think a lot of people forget that Uncle Sam comes a call in, if you're not paying in quarterly, which that's the conversation you should be having with your accountant, we are moving to that model because it will save us a lot of strife at the end of the year. Because what Robin and I did, we had a separate account for our taxes. We were an LLC, we converted to an S-corp and we had a separate account saved for our taxes and we were taking a distribution to pay our taxes. And we're asking our bookkeeper constantly like, is this enough? Is this enough? Yes, it was enough. But like just not knowing for an entire calendar year is unnecessary stress that we all put on our shoulders. And it doesn't make you feel in control. And we feel out of control with a lot of things. This is an industry of just total lack of control. So the things that you can control, why not calm that aspect of your brain? I think it's just so scary for people to like be honest about money. But you would not go to a job interview and not ask what you're going to make and then accept the job and not ask what you're going to make But that's what we're doing on a daily basis. That's what a lot of us are doing is we're like, we just hope to make what we want to make. And at the end of the year, I'll see if it works. And if not, next year, I'm going to work harder and take more clients. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're capped. I mean, that's where all this burnout in our industry comes from is like we do. And, you know, maybe you're the person and you're like, listen, I'm just doing this for fun to keep myself preoccupied. And like, I don't really need the income. That's fine. Maybe this episode isn't for you. But for the people who are out there like wanting to make, then it doesn't need to be a six figure salary. Maybe you just want to bring home like a solid 50K to cover your living expenses and like live off of your husband's salary. Who knows? Like, who knows what your situation is? But I just maybe you live in Panama and 50K is very sustainable solo salary, which would be amazing. Bali. I mean, you can buy a mega (laughs) mansion in Bali for that. So everyone's different, but all that to say, it's not selfish. It's not wrong if you want to make a living wage and there's a way to do it. Cause I think there's this weird narrative in our industry where it's like, no, we just get paid in travel. That wasn't good enough for me. Travel and going to all these exotic places doesn't pay my mortgage. And like, so that's, if that was the only way that I was going to profit is just by going all over, that wasn't going to work for me. Maybe it works for Jen, maybe it works for Tom or whoever else. It just didn't work for me. Cause that wasn't, I mean, I like traveling, but I don't like traveling over making money and like supplying for my family. So you just got to be real with yourself. And it takes a little bit of sitting down, getting honest, but then giving yourself the power back. I think sometimes we like let our businesses rule us instead of ruling our business. And you would never hope for a company where you're like, I hope the CEO knows what's going on day in and day out of this company. I hope they know what's coming in and going out on a daily basis because (laughs) you're fine or else you're going to end up like, you know, Silicon Valley Bank where one day they're just shut down and nobody had any idea. And that's, that's a bad place. Yeah. I I mean, we're going to have another episode on like, what does it mean to have a healthy business? Because when you sign up, And I say sign up because not a lot of people like entered this industry through a professional training. A lot of people literally signed up under a host and then just went for it. And that's what I did. So I'm not, I'm not bashing that at all. But 
we all know there's a low barrier to entry. There is no requirement for education before jumping into being a travel advisor. So here we have an industry that has a lot of individuals that aren't being required to prove that they can financially handle having a business, time management-wise handle having a business, and then on top of that, manage other people's money. And that's like the very delicate thing is we forget when we own a business that we are now responsible for someone else's entire, not only memories, but like the finances that go into a trip. And some of us take it too lightly. And I know for many trips, it became transactional to me. And then I had to like check myself and be like, okay, this person, this equates to a lot of their time. This is a very big deal for them. And I I had to take it back from being as transactional because I'm going to be very honest that I hit a million and that was within about, um, it was within 13 months of starting in the industry. I wanted it to be the first, not in the industry, but of being a a full-fledged travel agent. And I wanted it to be within a year. So I was absolutely running myself ragged completely ragged. And I was saying yes to every trip that walked in the door. I'm like, $2,500, I can do it. $3,000, I can do it. And so I had this portfolio that to me sounded really successful. I'm like, I hit a million dollars. The reality of what that looked like when it came to my time and then sanity, but also like actual income was absolutely absurd and irrational. It just did not make sense. Would I do it again? At that season of life, it was fine because I was living by myself and I could make my schedule what I wanted it to be. This season of life, that is absolutely not the case. And there are some people that may be listening to this and maybe you have another job. It's very normal in our industry for people to have another job and for us to actually never know that someone has this like full-fledged other career path that they're managing while booking travel. That is not sustainable to do that, to hit a million dollars by saying yes to everything, taking calls at any time. Like That's just not a way to live. And when all of that comes crumbling down because there's a strike in Italy on transportation and you're at your full-time job and now you can't actually service the people that have entrusted you with making sure their trip goes very well, It reflects poorly, not only on how you've managed your business, but your client experience. And that's what we're in business for. We're not just in business to serve our clients. We are in business to serve our families and to serve ourselves and to give ourselves the life that we want. And I just think that that takes a backseat so frequently. Growing your team can feel daunting. From creating an employee handbook to processing payroll, there is so much to consider. However, Gusto can simplify it all by acting as your in-house HR professional. Gusto offers various tiers of membership so that you can decide what level of support best fits your organization. Our team trusts Gusto to handle state filings, manage taxes, create our employee handbook, track PTO, and so much more. If you're not an HR pro, but need one on your team without the overhead, check out Gusto. Get $100 off when you enroll using our affiliate code found in the show notes. 
It also allows you once you, so like, let's say me and Jen make a hundred K, but like our business does better or whatever. So we actually make over that. That extra money is able to then be invested back into our business. Maybe then we're going to look at paid advertising. Maybe we're going to hire a copywriter to redo all of our website copy. There's just so many more things when you're sitting down and you're getting smart about your money. It gives you the power to not only, you know, give yourself balance and make yourself happy and all of that great stuff, but it gives you the power to like invest back in your business and make your business a better business. Like doing a custom workflow project, finally getting that brand launched or a new brand redone. Like there's, there's a lot of that kind of expenses too. You're right. I mean, we didn't even talk about evolution of business. We talked about bare bones necessities. And there are a lot of things that Robin and I discuss where like, Hey, we have this in the bank. Do you think we could justify this? Because the result will be X, Y, Z. And that is to us, like the whole point of our business for travel advisors is providing solutions. Yes, they cost money, but hopefully they give you this time back. And that is a legitimate, it's not a recurring expense. It's a one-time expense, hopefully, but it's something that gets you closer to the goal that we're talking about, even though it costs more in the short term. All right, we're going to talk about how to actually make those revenue and performance goals because you're probably thinking, okay, this sounds great, but like, how do I get there? This is overwhelming and I don't even know where to start. This is where Robin is exceptional. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over to her. (laughs) Again, like Jen mentioned in the beginning, these are normally, we're going to use like very layman's terms, not complex numbers, like to give you a base. When you look at your actual stuff, it's going to be more complex. I'm just letting you know that, but like to give you kind of the overview of what needs to happen, then this, then this, then this. So first things first, you need to decide on how much you want to live. You're creating a goal income for how you want to live. That's looking at all of your expenses. When I was doing this last year, I sat down and actually like listed out mine and my husband's expenses. Granted, that changes throughout life. Like Jen just added a baby. Her expenses are going to look way different this year. But at the end of that year, that's what I sat down and did. And I was like, okay, here's my number. And then I added in the fun stuff. Like we want to take two trips per year. One's domestic, one's abroad. What does that look like? Here's a budget. And so I sat down and I was like, okay, here's my revenue number. Chatted about it with Jen. We were very much aligned with what we were wanting. So once you get that, let's say, okay, so we got round numbers. Let's say, for example, you want to make 100K as a salary. That means you will need to net 100K. So that's not 100K in sales. <laughs> that's netting 100K. Therefore, you need to decide if you are going to take a limited amount of trips or require a minimum budget. This is really where we're going to get into, are you charging what you're worth? Are you charging like the amount that's going to get you to those income goals? So 100K in commissions you need to figure out how many trips you need to book. So if each trip, let's say, is a minimum of $10,000, that's your budget limit. Like that's your minimum per trip is $10,000. You won't work below that roughly. And of course, commissions depend on supplier and all of that. And we're not even going to get into the nuances of like splitting commission with a host. But let's say that roughly per 10K trip, you're making $1,000 in commission. That means that to get to that 100K, in commissions, you're going to need 100 trips because 1,000 times 100 is 100K. That means that is two trips secured per week, assuming no weeks off. No, no holidays, like no, no holiday weeks, no, no fams. And if you're doing a fam, it's going to be a working fam. Yep. Does that sound realistic and manageable? If not, should you increase your fees or increase? your minimum budget, like something's got to give. Now for fees, like we talked about, I feel like where fees should cover, like John mentioned is expenses. 
So back to the very beginning, the very beginning example, we said that you have 50K of non-salary reoccurring expenses. That means you will need to collect 50K in fees per year. Based on our previous math, we've learned that we need to book 100 trips per year. That means that you would need to be charging 500 per trips in fees to cover that 50K in expenses throughout the year. So technically, again, you should be time tracking each trip because some trips are super easy. And if people go over your limit, I think this comes back to terms and conditions and looking at your service suite and how much support you're offering to your clients pre and post trip or whatever that looks like to make sure that your time, like you know how much time you're dedicating to each trip and then deciding on your hourly rate. So if somebody is like coming back and they're like, typically a proposal will take me two hours to crank out. But then somebody wants another round of revisions. Revisions take me roughly one hour. And I've already done three rounds of revisions. So they're outside of the rounds of revisions. Instead of just keep going, I'm going to charge you an hourly rate because now we're working past the scope of my project, if that makes sense. So, Or if it's revamping the entire itinerary, you may, if it's within your contract terms and conditions, you may be able to actually say like, now this is reworking an entire proposal because they shifted from Paris and London to, oh, well, Italy's the hotspot. Can I see what that cost looks like? You know, like what that quote unquote looks like. And it's like, (laughs) okay, well, that's an entirely different trip. So for me to quote unquote, get what that looks like, you're going to have to pay an entirely new planning fee. I did not do this often enough. I'm going to throw myself right under that bus. But yes, that is going to be additional time. And if they let their proposal time out, like you should be putting a time parameter on how long that planning fee is active for. To me, like 30 days is probably healthy. 30 days, three edits, because after 30 days, everything looks so different when it comes to availability and pricing. Oh my gosh, yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think a lot of people, they'll sit down and they'll make their little service suite or what they'll figure out their packages. So if they're offering full itinerary creation and then there's this other you know service they offer for just hotel and flights or something like that, they'll sit and they'll plan those numbers. But like to have those additional numbers in your back pocket for your hourly rate, additional revision rounds, what are the, what's that going to cost? Like an additional hour phone call with you, what's that going to cost? I think that's really powerful too. And it kind of ties back into boundaries as well. So if a client doesn't really need to just look or to just compare that France trip to Italy, you now have a boundary because I mean, yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to get paid for it. But maybe they're like, oh, well, that was silly. I never was going to book that anyways. Let's just go with Italy because that's what I was planning all along. We'd actually recommend like increasing that fee, which would give you a buffer on the income and ensure that you can scale. You'll want to increase your revenue if you want to hire as well. That's like a big topic we keep hearing. We just got back from Teak Week, of course. So a lot of people are in that like business is booming. Let's talk about hiring mindset. So you will want to make sure that when you're evaluating your expenses, you're forecasting for somebody's salary to be included in those as well. I also want to say that we're talking numbers here. And this is not to say that a $2,500 trip is not worth taking. I'm I'm absolutely never going to say that. If you've listened to anything I've said, you know that I like love a moderate and economical trip because I think that everyone deserves a vacation and it is a splurge for anyone if if that is their dream vacation budget, then you know it is a sacrifice that they're willing to make. And it shouldn't be taken lightly because it's all in proportion to someone's livelihood, their living. But you also 
aren't a bad person if taking that trip doesn't make sense for you. So you don't have to be a luxury travel advisor. If you're going to make a living on booking cruises, like oceanic cruises that are going to start with a couple hundred dollars, be really stinking good at it and make sure the time makes sense for you. Like to me, if I were to be booking cruises, I would want to be so knowledgeable on cruises that it takes me no time to quote them because then the time tracking makes sense. We obviously, if you couldn't tell, like primarily booked either Sun and Sand or multi-leg FIT, but there's so many different ways of doing this. And if you book destination weddings, your fee should be reflective of the time that it takes to get contracts back from those sites and those room blocks, like all of that should be accounted for. So we've simplified this episode to apply to what we did, but whatever your niche is, you can be very successful, I would say, in almost any niche if the time tracking makes sense and if you are ensuring that you are properly compensated for your time with a fee on the front end. And the only way that I've made it make sense to be able to actually like cover expenses year round is by doing the math with planning fees in place. Because if there's a lot of bookings in hurricane season and your clients refuse insurance, which would have covered your commissions, that client cancels that booking last minute that you put all of this work into and you're out the commission because it was canceled. And obviously there's a lot of nuances with that too. All that to say is there are so many things that can go wrong that are out of our control that remove our opportunity for commission that it's become a necessity to charge on the front end. Or even Robin mentioned this. I want to throw it out there. Robin mentioned this really cool idea the other day of actually splitting planning fee payments up so that you can spread out your income even more throughout the year. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So we were just an idea. So we were talking to somebody on a consultation call and they were saying like, okay, if I charge, you know, fees and then somebody wants to add revision rounds or they change and they're adding more people to their trip and I need to charge them for that. What does that look like? And one way to go about it is when somebody is securing your services, you have them pay a deposit. We do this for Teak, like to work with us, you pay a deposit down. And then before anything's booked, like before the final payment, or I don't know, at some point in time that makes sense for your process, you would pay, the, they would have the remaining balance of their planning fee due. Of course, you would want verbiage that says like any planning fee is non-refundable or whatever. But that way, if you do get into the situation where you're like, okay, I always charge them a planning fee, but they always end up then including itinerary. And then they include this other thing that adds more money and stuff like that. And it gets hairy sending them all these weird little like, okay, you have to pay me $50. Now it's $150. Here's another invoice. It feels weird. So it's like once the trip is like finalized and you're about to like put the deposit down for the trip, that's when the planning fee is due to you, the remaining planning fee, because at that point, hopefully everything's secured and they're not just going to like book a trip and then change everything on the back end again. So that was one option to split up payments. And then that way you do have the autonomy and the ability to like add things on or, you know, have like almost like a little secret menu of upsells in your back pocket for people. 
Yeah, it came up because someone was like, well, I don't know how to add our fee calculator that's in our niche premium membership. It accounts for adding different legs. And so she's like, well, sometimes people don't know that they don't want four legs. They actually, as they start to see the pace unfold with the proposal, realize they want to cut it down to two or three. And so we were thinking, okay, well, we understand that. So why would you charge for an extra leg if they're not essentially going to be using it? So if you were to do like 50% of the deposit up front and then adjust it on the back end, but also if that person did want those additional changes or they wanted an additional call, yeah, it's giving you that that option to have a lawyer-style retainer fee, but billing per additional thing they're requesting. Instead of us feeling guilty for having to go back and be like, okay, well, I have to invoice you for this call. I think a lot of people, they have a lot of things in their terms and conditions for their fee or what's included in that. But then it's almost, it feels like not worth it to resend another invoice or it feels like you're being petty or, you know, well, like end up not charging it. Yeah. And they're devaluing their services. So yeah, it was just one way to go about it. I also want to say, if you heard the 10K on a trip minimum, which I never had, I never had a minimum in place for yeah. my trip and you need to book a hundred K in order, or you need to book a hundred trips in order to make a hundred K and you're just like, not possible. Like it's not possible. Yeah. For you. Here's where you can kind of get creative because there's a lot of other ways to make income that we don't think of as travel advisors. And there will be a whole podcast episode on this, I promise. This is your opportunity to look into things like affiliate marketing for things that make sense. There's like a couple language learning platform yeah. softwares that will actually offer you like an affiliate kickback for anybody who signs up under your membership. Obviously, there's Amazon out there. And I'm not trying to say like become an influencer, but affiliate marketing is a way to add passive income to your revenue stream. There's also the opportunity for you, if you really know a destination, to put out a low-cost destination guide for somebody planning their own trip. And then maybe when they use that guide or they purchase that guide, you can follow up in an email sequence that's like, hey, if you want to hop on an hour-long strategy call with me, here's what it would cost. There's other ways to make money that aren't necessarily done for you services. But if you get a little creative and you look at other businesses, it, it could work for you. So yeah. I just don't want anybody to be freaked out and like, well, there's no point in me even trying. Like, I'm never going to be able to make what I want to make. You can. It just might take a little... Creativity. Yeah. There's a lot of, like we said, we're going to have an entire podcast on business ideas that are so crazy that they just might work. Any of the ideas that we have, I don't think anyone's like full fledged doing them all the way. So they're just, you can take bits and pieces of it, but that is one idea. I know we had a shop. It wasn't much, but then again, I don't think that I capitalized on it enough. So if you have a VA pouring into that affiliate marketing, like Flytographer, Project Expedition, these things that you're not managing, it's amazing to actually be like, oh, I just got a $100 Viator commission because someone booked through a link that I put in the blog last month. And that happens all the time. I get notifications still from Explorator where tours are being booked off of affiliate blog posts. And they're not even the ones featured. It's just tracking the cookies. So as soon as that person clicks through the link and then they book anything through that link, a lot of these sites, they track by cookies and you're getting affiliate marketing. So 
that's a totally different concept that we even decided to go down. But that's all to say that these numbers are very oversimplified. You may not need 100K. You may not ever want to sell a million dollars because it doesn't work with your life balance. All of those things are okay. We just applied this to, I would say, the average travel advisor's goals that we hear and are like stating they want to work towards and helping rethink why maybe those goals are not aligned for you. And then actually saying, okay, is your goal 500K, but you're bringing in 100K because you're being really creative in how you do your fees, your service suite, your affiliate marketing. We know that money can be funny, which is why it can be hard to discuss goals in this industry with our peers. But we work to live and not live to work. Say it again for yourself as just a little bit of a mantra. We're at least trying to work towards that. So even if it takes an entire CEO day, sit down, dream a little bit, do the math, figure out what you need to make, and then make goals on what you want to make. After all, you would never accept a job without knowing the salary first. We recommend checking in with yourself on progress on a standing date each week or month, whatever makes sense to you. But whatever you do, keep an eye on that progress, your overhead, and most importantly, if these goals are giving you the type of life that you wish for. Thank you for joining another Teak Talks episode. If you are loving our content, we'd love and appreciate your support and feedback. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe so that you never miss when an episode drops. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teak Talk. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community, where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.